Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. I always tell you to do. I want you to try to focus, try to pay attention, try to listen, try to receive something from God. Coming to church is good, but it's not enough. God wants us to understand what he has to say to us today. And he says if we seek him with our whole heart, we'll find him. In Hebrews 4.15 the Bible says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, Jesus Knows How Hard Life Can Be. Ah, think about it. Pray with me. God, thank you for your understanding. God, thank you for knowing us, and I pray today that you'd be our teacher by your spirit, God, I pray that you would show us the things you'd have us to know. I ask you to anoint me to say the things that would honor you and give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus knows how hard life can be. One thing I am sure of after almost 59 years of being on this planet, life is filled with hardships. Mm, do you believe that? Now you can, you can go the other way if you want. You can fake it till you make it, but those people never make it. They just keep faking it. You, you, you can pretend like uh, everything is fine and dandy, like uh, Christmas hard rock candy, but you know in your own life that there have been things that have hurt you, wounded you, been difficult to overcome. But I want to tell you something. You, one of the tricks... I'm going to out him real quick, and then we're going to talk about it. One of the tricks of the devil is to try to make you think that nobody understands. Nobody knows what you're going through. Nobody's ever had it the way you've had it. But, but the Bible says that the temptations that we endure are common to people all over the world. Somebody's been through what you've been through. Somebody's gone through what you've gone through. And, and here's a newsflash for, for some people who are really down and out. Somebody's been through more than you've been through. And they still made it. And the fact that you're here today means you're still making it. And I don't want you to fall prey to that mindset that makes you think that you've gone through something that nobody understands. Be because the, the words to the old song are true. Jesus knows all about your trouble. And, and, and in the verse we're looking at today, Hebrews 4.15, not only does he know about it, but he understands exactly what it is. Let's look at our text verse again in Hebrews 4.15. It says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. Now, we're a Bible teaching church, so I've been giving you for years uh, principles of interpretation that should allow you to understand the Bible at a higher level. And some of the keys to understanding the Bible are as simple as looking at the words. I've told you for years, if, if the word says we and us, it's usually talking to what kind of people? They and them, what kind? Okay, so that's not every time, but that's most times. If it says we and us, then it's talking to Christians. And this verse says this high priest of ours. So this high priest is the high priest of 
Christians, if you call yourself a Christian, if you say you're saved, then this verse applies to you. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. So in the first phrase, and we get to this comma, and we pause, and I've been telling you for a long time, always pay attention to the punctuation. Pay attention to the commas, the periods, question marks, explanation points, colons, semicolons, whatever the punctuation may be, it will perfect your understanding and your comprehension as you read. So this first phrase, and we always want to take the Bible in phrases, verse by verse, line by line, phrase by phrase, bite-sized pieces so we can understand it and get it down inside us, this high priest of ours. Now, if you're looking at the screen, you see a capital H and a capital P, and that's signifying that our high priest is special, unique, and this high priest that verse, 14, verse 15 is talking about is who? It's Jesus. Jesus is our high priest, and he understands our weaknesses. I told you our is significant uh, or in, indicative of Christians. So Christians have a high what? Christians have a high priest. And Christians also have, what do you see the word before that comma? Christians have a high priest. Christians have weaknesses. I've just said so much right now that some of y'all aren't really awake yet to grab what's saying. Just shake yourself internally, wake up. And understand that if you're a Christian, you have a high priest. You have somebody who is talking to God on your behalf. The Bible says that he ever lives to make intercession for us. Jesus is always praying for us. Jesus is always advocating for us. And he understands our weaknesses. Now, we live in a time where people want to act like they are better than they really are. And that's not really so much an indicator of the time that we live in. I think it's always been that way. That's why the scripture tells us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Because hear me, most people have a tendency to think more highly of themselves than they should. But we need to understand that the Bible is right all the time. No matter what it feels like, no matter what it looks like, no matter what our opinion is, the Bible is always right. And the Bible not only tells us that Christians have a high priest, but it tells us Christians have weaknesses. So if you're a Christian, guess what you have? Weaknesses. Now, who you saying has weaknesses? I'm saying you have weaknesses. Standing here flat-footed, 220 pounds, looking you in the eye and telling you you have weaknesses. And including myself in that, we all have weaknesses. And everybody... With, with common sense and any type of training and education in the area of personal development will tell you that the first step in solving a problem is identifying that problem. And if you don't start identifying what your weaknesses are, you'll never overcome them. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to leak out some of the punchline already and because I, I've told you guys this before. The grace of God is so amazing that it allows him, it causes him to do things in a certain way. And I told you before, I don't like the way God does this thing here about this, what I've called the retest. God allows us to keep taking the same test over and over and over and over and over again until we pass it. Now, some of you have heard my speech I, if I had a teacher in a class, I failed the test. If I got a 13 on it, look, taking it again, 
Probably not going to help me that much. Obviously, I didn't understand it. Obviously, I have no idea what they're talking about. But sometimes a teacher will allow you to retake a test, and they call that being nice. Uh, and if you get a better grade on it the second time, it really works out for you. Well, God is beyond nice. God is gracious. And he allows us to take retests. Now, I've, I've told God many times, why don't you just give me an F on that one and let's keep it moving. I mean, seriously, uh, if, 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 I've got, if I've got a high GPA already, if, if I know I, I'm going to finish the year with an A and I can stomach this one F, go and let me, don't, don't have me come in on a Saturday to retake this test just so I can get a, a different uh, point GPA. I'm still going to get an A. I would like to not have to take that test again. Are you following me? Now, if that test meant it was the difference between me graduating and not graduating, oh, please, Mrs. Jones, let me come in on, sun, uh, on Saturday and, and take that one all over again. I'll be better prepared. But here's the thing about God. He consistently allows us to retest it. And listen, I, so many times I've been like, just, just give me that F. Hang that F on me. Don't make me keep taking this test again. I can't pass it. But here's what God says. If you lean on me, you can pass it. And he keeps giving me that test, and he keeps giving me that test, and he keeps giving me that test. Let me tell you all something. He's going to let you keep failing that until you pass it. He's not just going to hang an F on you and let you keep moving. And some of you want to stop taking that test. Some of you have been going around the mulberry bush too many times. Think about the Bible says that we have these stories for our examples. The Hebrews had an 11-day journey that took them 40 years to make. Because they kept walking around the mountain, walking around the mountain, walking around. And some of you are doing the same thing in your life. You could have already been beyond where you are. But you keep failing the same test. It's the same test. You know what it is. Pass it and he will let you move on to the next level. The, the, the Bible teaches us here in this one verse that he understands because he faced all of the same testings we do. Yet he did not sin. Most versions uh, use the word tempting instead of testing. Here, the New Living Translation is very different than the other nine versions that I typically read alongside every verse when I'm looking at it to, to study the language and, and the words, the specificity of the words. I, I believe tempting would be better because here's the deal. We know we get tempted and we don't always win. Can anybody say amen? We know we, we get tempted, we get tested, our faith, our, our situation get, gets tested, and we come up short. But listen to what it says about Jesus. For he faced all the same testings or temptings that we do, yet he did not sin. Now it says specifically he faced all of the same tempting. Do you believe Jesus has been tempted the same way you've been tempted? Because somebody might be willing to say, well, he, he, he never had to deal with my crazy family. He had his own crazy family. Well, he never had to go through the hardship I went through. He went through worse hardship than we've gone through. The Bible says he's been through all of the same types of issues that we have been through. But I want you to see the last five words, yet he did not sin. You ought to get that down in your spirit. Jesus did not sin. Let's just say that together. Jesus did not sin. Say it again. Jesus did not sin. I want you to get that in your mind because this makes him extremely unique. 
It certainly makes him different than me. Does it make him different from you? We got to understand. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus is different. Jesus is completely unique. He never sinned. I, I wonder, and you don't have to answer out loud. I want you to think about it in your mind. I wonder if you really believe that. I mean, I, I've put this thing to, to the test. I've put this concept through the paces. I've, I've thought about it, meditated on it for years and years and years. Uh, how, how many, well, don't raise your hand because it'd be too many of you. But, but we, we all know that sometimes kids will pitch a fit. Lay on the ground, bang their hands and feet. Scream, holler, act belligerent. Uh, and, and that's when the father says, he must have learned that from his mother. And that's when the mother says, he's too much like his father. But check this out. Do you think Jesus ever laid on the ground, banged his hands and feet in the ground and pitched a fit and, and put, put his mother Mary through the, through the paces? No. No. I don't believe that. I, I don't believe. Listen, I, you, you can let your mind expand on this, but we, we, we can, or we can stick to the written word of God, which plainly says he did not sin. I am disgusted by current culture's portrayal of Jesus Christ in almost every movie. People ask me, I don't even know what the name of that new TV show is, streaming show, whatever it is everybody's been watching. What's that called? The Chosen, thank you. Um, I, ain't, I ain't seen it. It wasn't any good. I heard people say it was good. I, I, I'm so turned off by Hollywood trying to make a picture about Jesus Christ, I'd rather just read the Bible. Now, if you liked it, that's fine. I'm not saying you don't have to watch it, but I find myself getting caught up in all of the, the, the problems and, 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 and the scriptural uh, failures that Hollywood goes through. Man, I don't even know where it was or what it was, but somebody came out with some foolishness making out like Jesus uh, had something going on with Mary, like Jesus had a girlfriend. Jesus didn't have no girlfriend. Listen, he was too smart for that. <laughs> ah. Hey, be blessed how you're blessed. Be blessed in your marriage. Be blessed in your singleness, where, wherever you are. But when they try to make Jesus something that he's not, that, that, that's something that ought to turn us off. Listen, they want to make out like Jesus got, got Mary pregnant, had a baby. Uh, the word of God forbid fornication. And Jesus never broke the written word of God. I want you to be a believer in this man, Jesus Christ, and the concept, the truth, the reality that he never one time committed any sin. If you don't believe that, let me tell you something. You can't be saved. Because the only way Jesus could be qualified to be your Savior is if he was sinless. Because God said there had to be a sinless sacrifice and his son was that sinless sacrifice. If you don't learn anything else this morning, expand your thought process to believe in the God who sent a son who lived a perfect life and never sinned. And listen, he, he, we, we love to justify why we sin. Well, look what they did to me. They had it coming. They deserved it. You don't know how long, blah, blah, blah. We want to justify all these different issues and act like uh, it was okay for us to do what we did. Jesus went through more than we'll ever go through. The Bible says he didn't even open his mouth to defend himself. Jesus lived a perfect life in the midst of more hardship than we can expect. So what am I trying to tell you? He knows how hard life can be, but hear me good. Hardship does not give us an excuse 
to break God's word. Hardship is not a justifier. Well, the only reason I did it was, no, you shouldn't have done it. You shouldn't have done it. And maybe next week in the coming weeks, we'll talk about some ways that you can be more victorious over the sin in your own life. But the Bible says of Jesus that he never sinned. He was tempted the same way, tested the same way we are. And I want to expose to you today the way that the enemy has chosen to test human beings from the very beginning. It's a threefold strategy. It's always been a threefold strategy. It's always going to be a threefold strategy. The devil is going to come at you in one of three ways. He might come at you in two of three ways. He may even come at you in three of three ways, but he's only got, guess how many ways? Three ways. And we're going to look at them. Uh, li- listen, it's, it's on the screen uh, to 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. I'm going to read that to you. Same verse in a more modern translation. says, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. Now, inside this verse, in whichever version you choose to read it in, it says that there's this threefold strategy, the three ways that you get tested. It was that way from the beginning. It was that way for Jesus. It's that way now. It's going to be that way until the end of time. So let me, expo- let me expose these things real quick. First thing he says, the lust of the flesh. Say flesh. Now, this is, in in the King James, it says the lust of the flesh. But here in this more modern translation, we see it says a craving for what? So so put that next next screen on for me, sound booth. The, The lust of the flesh is a craving for physical pleasure. Now, this could be something that satisfies your appetite, and your appetite doesn't always deal with food. Some, some people have an appetite for the wrong stuff and grow into addictions. But whatever it is that your, your, your body craves physically, then this is one area of attack for the devil. Not just the lust of the flesh, though, the lust of the eyes. The King James calls it the lust of the eyes. The New Living Translation says a craving for everything we see. Say the word see. So we got physical pleasure. Then, then, we, we, then we got things that we can see. This is the lust. These are the longings. These are the things that draw us away, a craving for everything we see. It's so important. That's why the Bible says you, you should protect your eyes and not look on things that, that will cause you to live contrary to God. This is why I don't go to horror movies. I never understood you horror movie people. I just don't, I just don't get it. I still do it to this day. I've, I've told y'all many times. I still do it. Um, if I'm in a movie and they, I'm going to see a decent movie and then they want to play that track, I hear that weird move, music. I hear a door creaking. I, 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 I cover my ears and I look down at the floor and close my eyes because I don't want to see all that stuff. I got enough stuff in my mind from, from 58 years of living. I don't need Hollywood putting some junk in my mind. And I'm going to tell you something. These, these dudes, these directors, I've told Seth many times, I think these cats have seen the other side. I think they got a hookup with the devil. I th- Listen, 
the way they draw some of these horror films out today, uh, they had to have seen some messed up stuff. They had to have had a peek in, 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 into, the, to, into the evil realm. And I don't need to put that in my eyes, but there is a secondary attack. The, prime, the first attack the enemy comes with, craving for physical pleasure. Second thing he comes with, a craving for everything we see. Be careful what you're looking at. What you're looking at will draw your attention away from God. Remember what happened to King David when he wasn't where he was supposed to be. The Bible says that when a time where kings go out to war, David was walking around on the rooftop of his house, and he, and he saw that naked woman over on the other building. And that ended him up in a big pile of mess. You can read about David and Bathsheba in your Bible. Uh, many of you know the story already. But he saw something, and he decided, I want that. He saw something that he had no business looking at anyway, and it drew his attention away from his mission. And I want to tell you, for some of you, life would get so much easier if you just stopped looking at stuff that draws your attention away from God. It's the, it's the lust of the eyes. Not only is it the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, but the third thing the Bible says in the King James is the pride of life. Now, the New Living says it's pride in our achievements and our possessions. And this is all three. This is the whole attack of the enemy. If you learn how to circle your defenses, if you learn how to work your offense, if you learn how to maneuver in life uh, in these three areas, hear me good. You will be more successful in being the man, the woman, the young person that God created you to be. You got to watch out for your physical cravings. You got to watch out for what you see that draws your eyes away from God. And you got to watch out for being proud in your achievements and possessions because this, hear me good, is the only system that he has. It's the only strategy that he has. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. We were reminiscing about the great running back, Walter Payton. And if you got a favorite running back who is not Walter Payton, just know your favorite running back is not the best running back in the history of the NFL. That's okay. That's okay. Everybody that knows me well knows my favorite basketball player in the history of the NBA is Paul Pierce. I've never made a, I've never made a case for Paul Pierce being the best basketball player alive. Now, he is the 16th all-time leading scorer in NBA history. He is a champion. He, he did win the MVP, uh, the finals MVP uh, in the NBA championship. He also did come in second place, which I, I would call should have been first place, uh, in the college slam dunk competition because it wasn't a fair competition because he was the only person to ever finished second to Vince Carter. And everybody else finished third or worse because Paul Pierce was the only one to be close. That's like the year I lost the home run derby uh, contest here at the church. Uh, it, it wasn't fair because a younger, healthier, better in shape, Jimmy Rich came in and knocked me off my perch. No shame in losing to Elder Jimmy in a home run contest. There wasn't no shame in Paul Pierce losing. People were like, I didn't know Paul Pierce could dunk. If it wasn't for Vince Carter, the greatest dunker in the history of the world, he would have won that thing. But I've never made a case that Paul Pierce was the greatest player in basketball. Your favorite person doesn't have to be great. And if your favorite running back is not named Walter Payton, your favorite running back wasn't the best running back in the history of the world. But Walter Payton was undeniably the, the greatest running back. Uh, and here's the thing that made him so great. The other team knew exactly what he was going to do. 
Think about the all-time. So anybody know who the all-time leading rushing running back in the history of the NFL is? Emmitt Smith. Come on, people. Stay awake. Emmitt Smith. Emmitt Smith ain't the greatest running back ever. He's just not. He's not on anybody's top five list that knows anything about football. He's not better than Jim Brown. He's not better than Barry Sanders. He's not better than O.J. Sim. I could go on and on and on before I even work. And I'm a Florida Gator fan. But he ain't the best running back. He played behind the best line, and they never knew what was going to happen. Why? Because Emmitt played with a Hall of Fame quarterback. He played with a Hall of Fame wide receiver. He played with four Hall of Fame Offensive linemen, they, 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 had it. they could come at you in a bunch of different ways. The Cowboys were, were so loaded that they didn't know if Troy Aikman was going to drop back on a delayed draw to Emmett up the middle or if he was going to drop back, roll out, and, 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 and hit, hit Irvin in the corner for a touchdown. But when Walter Payton was in the game, guess what the whole defense knew? 34 is getting the ball. 34 is getting the ball. 34 is going to He might bounce it, bounce it outside. He might run it inside. He might use speed. He might just put his shoulder down and run over top of you. But they knew 34 was getting the ball. And when you know what your enemy is going to do to you, you ought to be able to stop them. Now, I'm going to get off this football analogy because I know a lot of you don't care. But the reality is, with the greatest running back by far that ever lived, how many of y'all know how many championships Walter Payton put under his belt? Just one. Just one. Why didn't they win more? Because they were a one-trick pony for his whole career. They only had one way to win, and that's Walter running crazy on people, which he did on a regular basis. But... It, it was an easy team to prepare for. It was an easy team to know 34 is going to get the ball. What am I telling you? If you know what your enemy is going to do, you ought to be able to prepare for it. You ought to, don't let them beat you if you know here's all they're going to do. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's it. That's the way the devil's going to come at you today, tomorrow, next week, and for the rest of your life. He's going to come at you through physical cravings. He's going to come at you through craving things that you can see. And he's going to come at you to get you to be proud of who you are, what you've accomplished, and what you've got going on. This is the strategy, and we need to learn how to overcome it. Now, today's the first day of the month. Every month, I give you a book of the month. It's a book that I read throughout the month. Sometimes multiple times, sometimes I take my time, sometimes many multiple times, I read through the whole book. This is a very long book. Uh, the book of Luke is our book of the month for May. And I want you to start reading it. It's going to take you to start today uh, if you hope to get done with it, um, or you're going to spend a lot of time reading it. But I hope that you will try to read in the book of Luke this month. And I want us to look at Luke chapter 4 this morning as we look at the temptation of Christ. The Bible says he was tempted just like us. Here's the reason he was tempted just like us. Because there's only three ways to get tempted. It's only, there's only three avenues of attack the devil's going to use. And I, I want you to get to the place where you can at least give me the, give me the fill in the blank. If this was Wednesday night, we, we'd be filling in the blank. I'd say the first thing is the lust of the what? Second thing, lust of the what? Third thing, the pride of what? 
The pride of life. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's the attack. It's, gonna, it's the attack that the devil's used forever, and it's the attack he used on Christ. That's why he was tempted the same way we are, because he was tempted in all of these areas. Let's look at it in Luke 4, verse 1. The Bible says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Who led him into the wilderness to be tempted? The Spirit. Stop thinking that the devil's in charge of anything. The devil is in charge of nothing. The devil can do nothing outside of God's permission and parameter. The devil uh, is, is under the authority of God just like every other thing in existence in the world. The, the God had the Spirit lead Jesus out of a great moment. And here's, here's a little side note for you. Sometimes your greatest testing will come after your greatest victory. Jesus had just been launched out into ministry. Jesus had just been baptized by his cousin John. Jesus and everybody that was there had just seen the heavens open up and the Spirit of God descending like a dove, not a dove, but like a dove on Jesus and a voice coming from heaven that everyone that was there heard, this is my dearly beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. That's one of the reasons I tell people you need to get baptized. Jesus is our perfect example. Jesus got baptized. God opened up heaven over him filled him with the Holy Ghost, and spoke blessing into his life. And I believe that still happens today. But Jesus has just had this launch into ministry. He's just had this amazing event happen through his baptism and God speaking over him. And verse 1 says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. He returned from the Jordan River where he had just been baptized. He was led of the Spirit, not the devil. Uh, Pastor, the devil's just messing with me. No, God's allowing you to go through some things so you can get a, a W under your belt. It's been so long since some of you won in the area of spirituality that, that you don't even remember what it feels like to, to have your hand raised in victory. you got to start getting some wins under your belt spiritually. Jesus had just had a big W, and, and, and God lead, leads him out into the the de desert to get tempted. Sometimes after a big W, sometimes after a big victory, a big win, God's going to let you go through some stuff. But it's only going to come at you in one of how many ways? One of three ways. You ought to be able to prepare for three ways. If, if, listen, if you're fighting Muhammad Ali, you got no chance. You got no chance. Now, if you're fighting Mike Tyson, the baddest man on the planet, you got no chance then either. But, I mean, if you can withstand that barrage, then you know, he, you know he's not going to counterpunch. You know he's not going to come at you dancing and feeling you out. You know he's not going to take it easy in the first three rounds. So many people missed Mike Tyson fights but because they were getting popcorn at the, and it ended in the first round that they had to start offering money-back guarantees to people who bought tickets. If the fight ended in the first round, they were giving people their money back because a lot of people didn't even get to their seats. But Mike Tyson came at you in one way. And there were, Evander Holyfield, listen, Evander Holyfield cannot be knocked out. You're like, you're on sports today, but I'm trying to get you to understand. We've met Evander Holyfield. My sons and I, we shook his hand. We were sitting in uh, chairs a couple seats down from him at a Braves game one time, and really nice guy, and I fell into the trap. You ever have somebody that had a really weird feature, you know, a giant nose, a, 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 a goiter on their neck, 
uh, and you, you, you try not to look at it, right? Mike comes, uh, Evander comes over. We're standing there talking to him. You know what I was staring at? Right there. And I'm screaming. I'm screaming at myself, stop staring at this. This is a famous man. He's shaking your hand in your chair. Stop staring at the man's ear. He knows he got his ear bit off. I'm going to tell you something. This is a square-headed brother right here named Evander Holyfield. This is a thick-skulled brother. I told my kids I wouldn't take a free shot at him with a pool cue in the back of his head because I believe he'd take it. I mean, he, it, he, look at all the punches he took from Tyson. Twice. Two different fights. Could not be knocked out. Frank Bruno, same way. British fighter fought, fought Tyson. Uh, took him eight rounds deep. When Tyson was at his best, it was only because he got glove thumbed in the eye with a glove uh, that, that Bruno got finished. Why? Tyson had one way of coming at you. Just one way. He was coming all in. He was coming fast. And, and if you can't be knocked out, you could outlast him. That's how Evander beat him. Evander didn't beat him because he was stronger. Evander didn't beat him because he hit harder. Evander beat him because I know this guy's got one strategy. I'm just going to outlast him because I can't be knocked out. Well, Ali, you didn't get that benefit. Ali, Ali could outdance you. He could run from you. He could rope-a-dope you. He could knock you out. He could flurry you. Um, he, he, he could taunt you. There was, he, psychologically, he could uh, outpace you. Um, listen, be glad we're not fighting an enemy that has 55 ways to come to you. We got an enemy that's fighting us in three ways. And, and the Bible says that after Jesus got baptized, he went out and was led into the wilderness. Verse 2 says he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Now, I don't know if you've ever gone 40 days without eating. I have twice. Um, and I don't recommend it for people who have a job that they work outside the home. I don't even recommend it for people who have a job that means they have to stand up on a regular basis. That's for people who are laying down. That's for monks. That's for, that's for people who, who sit, read, and pray. That I, I'll never forget one time uh, your husband, Elder Jimmy, called me. He, he was so upset. He, he knew I was, I was a complete fasting for 40 days. And he, I mean, I don't know, it was day two or three, maybe, maybe five, I don't know, whatever day it was. He called me on the phone. He says, I'm, 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 really, I'm really having a hard time right now in my mind. I said, what's wrong? He said, I know the Bible says don't, don't vow a vow to God and then break it. But I am out here. My, mind, my mind's in a fog. My body is locking up. He was installing fences. Now, when I met Elder Jimmy, he, uh, and he told me he, uh, 15, 16 years ago, whenever we met, he told me he installed, he owned a fence company. I said, what kind of fences? He said, mostly, you know, privacy fences, all kinds of fences, but uh, lots of privacy fences. Um, I said, so you're out there digging them holes? He said, every day. I said, do you have an auger? He said, oh, man, I got two augers. I thought, oh, my, he's big time, man. An auger's a machine you push down into the ground, blade spins, digs a hole for you. I thought, oh, two. I said, two augers, you must be doing good. He said, yeah, I got this one and this <laughs> And if you know him, you can, you can picture that in your mind. But he called me after a few days of not eating and working out in the Florida heat, digging holes with post hole diggers and carrying lumber. Uh, he said, I just don't know that I'm going to make it, but I, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to back up on a commitment I made to God. I said, listen, God loves you like a father loves a child. He doesn't want to see you put your health at risk. And fasting 
everything, just water fast, that's, that's not for people who work outside in the Florida heat doing labor. All right? But Jesus went 40 days in the wilderness with no food. He ate nothing at all for that time and became very hungry. I'm still convinced the reason why my body gave in to COVID in January is because on the 18th day of 21 days of not eating anything, and I finished out those last three days of not eating with COVID, but after not eating for 18 days, I think my body had gotten worn down and was more susceptible uh, to the virus. But anyway, let, let, me, let, me, let me make this point for you. When you are weak physically, temptation is harder to resist. If you're weak emotionally, temptation is harder to resist. If you're, if you're weak uh, financially, spiritually, when you're weak, temptation is harder to resist. That's why the devil didn't jump on him on day one. He wanted him worn down. And let me tell you something. If you're worn down right now, Emotionally, if you're worn down physically, if you're worn down mentally, spiritually, you are, at, you are an open target for the enemy. This is Jesus, our perfect example. This is how he went through it. It's the same way we're going to go through it. He's out there 40 days eating nothing, and he became not just hungry, but very hungry. Verse 3 says, then. When is then? Then is after. After Jesus has exhausted himself physically after he has become very hungry that's when the devil comes along and I want to tell you something if you feel any strain in your life at all you better be looking over your shoulder and down the road in front of you and under under, under every shadow because that's when he comes he's not coming for you so much when you're strong he's gonna wait till you get weak that's why you better stay strong stay strong you get less attack Jesus got out there he was physically very hungry. Verse 3 says, Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. Where are we at? There it is. This is, uh, that, that, that shouldn't even be up there. I, I, I didn't erase that part on my notes. He said, Tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. That should be the next screen. Um, the lust of the, this is the lust of the flesh. This is a craving for physical pleasure. The devil attacked him, hear me good, where he is weak. Well, I don't believe Jesus was weak. He was very hungry. And the devil comes to him with the lust of the flesh. Why? Because it was an avenue that he thought he could win in. I wonder which of these three avenues the devil thinks he can win on you. Because here's the reality. We're about to see the devil tempt Jesus in all three of these areas. He really don't have to work all three against me most of the time. How about you? One and done. Two and out. Three, three, almost doesn't have to come that way. Why? Because we're not as strong as the Lord. But if we will learn from what the Scripture tells us, then we can overcome. The Bible says we should give thanks to God who always causes us to be overcomers. But here we see... Strategy number one. And this is how it comes. It comes strategy one, two, and three. You can label. Lust of the flesh is one. Lust of the eyes is two. Pride of life is three. Here comes strategy number one. Jesus is hungry, so how's the devil tempting? With a craving for physical pleasure. And see, here's the deal. It doesn't even have to be an evil pleasure. Eating 
would not have been sinful for Jesus. It, but it was an area where he was hurting. It was an area that the devil could tempt him in because he was very hungry. So here we see the lust of the flesh, this craving for physical. Oh, man, if you ever fasted at all, now by 40 days you could go without eating food ever again. Really by about day eight. Any of you who've ever done long-term fasting, you know that uh, after those headaches go away and after you get settled in and your body adjusts, um, food becomes an afterthought. But when you see it or smell it, you might think, oh, man, if I could just get me a hamburger right now. Oh, a milkshake would hit me good right about now. Some French fries with salt on them, huh? Y'all don't know about good eating. He tempts him with this loaf of bread. Now, see, the, the people in the first century, they were poor. They didn't have excess. People around the world still don't have excess. Do you know the, the, the majority of people in this world live without a refrigerator and without air conditioning? Just don't have it. Go to any third world country you can find. They just, they just don't have it. And this is the type of world it was back then. They didn't have a house full of food. There wasn't a, Big Mama wasn't always cooking up something nice that smelled up the whole house great. What they did have that smelled up a whole house was bread. Oh, when the bread was cooked. If you ever been, we went to a, a field trip when I was in the third grade. We went to a bakery, and I can still smell that bakery. Oh, the smells were amazing. And if you're really hungry... The, the, the best smelling food, the, the most nourishing food they had then, th this was like somebody sitting you down at, at watching the Krispy Kremes come out hot and fresh after you ain't ate for a while. Let me tell you something. If you've never been, it's a field trip. You want something good to do? When we travel, I look on these websites, uh, uh, best things to do in certain city. You want what the best thing to do in Jacksonville, Florida is? Go sit down inside a Krispy Kreme donut or stand up and watch them things come down that rack and get flooded with that icing and say, yeah, I'm going to need two. Who am I kidding? I'm going to need eight of those uh, donuts right there and, and two cartons of milk. Um, that bread smell was on Jesus, but here's what Jesus did. In verse 4, Jesus told him, no, exclamation point. Can we get verse 4 on the screen? Jesus told him, no, exclamation point. I've always told you, pay attention to the what? punctuation so you got to stop and think about that jesus told him what ah if jesus told him no when he was being tempted guess what a good word for you to tell him is i just learned to say no just stop being an easy mark stop being an easy pushover stop giving in so quick jesus told him flat-footed no not just no but no with an exclamation point on the end of it, not happening, no way, no how, bother somebody else because it's not going to be me. And then not only did Jesus tell him no, but then he fought with the weapon that we should be fighting with in temptation. The scripture says people do not live by bread alone. Now, if we'd have been around in that day and Jesus had been one of us, I could hear him saying, the same thing that so many people say now. But you don't know how hungry I was. Well, we know how hungry Jesus was. He was very hungry. Well, you don't know how hard that temptation was. We know how hard that temptation was for Jesus because he was very hungry. And the devil was tempting him with the lust of the flesh. But Jesus said, no matter how hungry I am, I know what the Bible says. Food 
is not the best, biggest thing. Do you know in America, we're the only nation of people that eat as a social event? Think about it. You want to get together with one of your friends? You want to get together with a new coworker? You want to get together with somebody and hang out? Very few people just get together and hang out. They got to go somewhere and what? Eat. Y'all, y'all, you, you want to hang out Friday? Sure. Well, let's, well meet me at so-and-so restaurant. Dude, listen, if you ain't been to restaurants in a while, I'm going to tell you something. Somebody who goes to one every day, the portions are just too big. Now, that don't stop me from eating all of them. I'm just telling you how the IS is. But I, I look at it sometimes, and I think about um, one of our pastors in uh, Monrovia, Liberia, West Africa. I mean, this brother, Pastor Prince Coon, he is skinny as a pencil. Um, and and, I, and I, Dean and I talk about it sometimes. Look, look on the food on my plate and think, this would feed half a village in, in Liberia. Uh, they, they wouldn't be able to stomach down all this food. But the, 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 the amount of food that we consume in America is, is, is just beyond normal. Because the reality is a lot of people in America eat for socialization. A lot of people eat in America when they're depressed. A lot of people eat in America when they're bored. I'm a boredom eater. I don't know about y'all. Uh, but I, am a, I knew it wasn't going to last, Seth. I knew it wasn't going to last. I knew We make our run to Publix to get Dr. Pepper, milk, and uh, Lucky Charms. Because um, these are staples in life. So we walk, but we still walk up and down almost every aisle. And I know Seth's pushing that buggy every time, thinking, why are, why are we on this aisle? What, 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 are we, what are we doing on this aisle? Cat food? We're never going to have a cat? Well, I'm just, you know, I'm just looking at what they got. Um, but it's walking down an aisle we didn't have any business on, and it spoke to me. You ever have something just speak to you off a shelf? It just spoke to me. Nilla, not to say vanilla, I said Nilla wafers. Ah, and they had a box, a yellow, a yellow box with Nilla wafers in it. God be my witness, for less than half the cost, less than half, meaning the yellow box was more than double. That white box that said Publix vanilla wafers, I don't need me no vanilla wafers. These Nilla wafers are calling to me. Well, see, that box is empty right now sitting on the counter. I told Seth last night, I told him, I said, you want one of these? He's like, I'm good. I'm thinking, praise the Lord, because I'm crushing them out. <laughs> this, this box is done. I'm about to put them in. I'm about to put them in and get it in. I'm going to tell you what. You, I, I already told you all there's, there's a tactic to everything. There's a technique to everything. You don't eat vanilla. You don't eat Nilla wafers one at a time. You put the flat side against the flat side, and you put the round up in the roof of your mouth, and you crunch both of them. See, Terry back there having a, a hallelujah. That's how you eat Nilla wafers. That too. Banana pudding, whatever you want, whatever you want to do, but I'm a boredom eater. I got up last night, and I looked in the pantry, and there it was. Nilla wafers. I thought, well, let's get this working now. Let's bust into this thing and, 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 and get, it, get it in. I wasn't hungry. I was just bored. Uh, we, 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 oh, one other thing we buy. We buy that variety pack of chips because if I'm bored, I need to 
get, grab a couple of them small bags. That, that one bag is too small. Grab a couple of them small bags. I, I'm a boredom eater. Some of y'all eat boredom. Some of y'all eat depression. Some of y'all eat when, when you're lonely. I, I, I don't know what your thing is, but we need to get to the point, all of us, where we understand food is not the end-all, be-all. This is what Jesus is saying. Food ain't it. You, I, I'm upset. I need to eat something. Uh, you no, know, you need to pray. I'm bored. I need to eat something. Well, I need to pray. Well, did you? No, I got in that box of Nilla wafers. Woke up this morning feeling my stomach bulging all over. I'm like, man, I'm a blow. Oh, I know why. We got to get to where we understand the scripture. Jesus was surely tempted. He wanted to eat. He was very hungry. But when presented with the opportunity, he chose not to because he wasn't going to follow the devil in his lead. So he said, no, that, that, that's not what I'm going to do. Verse 5 says, then, when is then? After, after. The, the temptation with the lust of the flesh, then the devil took him up and revealed, most versions say showed him, showed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Verse 6, he said, I'll give you all these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. If I will give it all to you, if you will worship me. So what we're seeing here is strategy number two, which we know is what? The lust of the eyes, a craving for everything we see. The devil takes him and he shows him all this stuff. It's stuff Jesus could see, and he says, you can have it all. You just got to do one thing. Do you know the majority of people would have jumped on that with both feet? They'd have took that offer before it got out of the devil's mouth. There are people in this room that are taking that offer too many times. You saw something and you wanted it. You knew it was the devil and not God, but you took it anyway. Be careful what you put your eyes on. Be careful what you crave that you can see. This is the lust of the eyes. And in verse 8, Jesus replied, The scriptures say, You must worship the Lord your God and serve only Him. So the devil keeps coming at Jesus. Jesus keeps firing scripture back at him. In verse 9, it says, Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God... Jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Now, this is predicted of, of the way that God would treat the Messiah. And so he's appealing to his pride right now. He said, if you're all that, if you're extra special like you say you are, then go ahead and show how awesome you are. This is the pride of life. Third strategy of the devil, the pride of life. This is pride in your achievements, pride in who you are, what you have. And he's trying to appeal to Jesus' sense of pride in who he was and what he was capable of doing. Verse 12, Jesus, said, Jesus responded, the scripture also says, you must not test the Lord your God. Jesus was tempted in all the same areas we're still being tempted today. Let's look at them and we get out of here. Recap, the lust of the flesh, a craving for things that appeal to your physical being, food, substance, stuff, physical pleasure. There are, there are so many people right now. Um, our world has been overrun with pornography. And you don't even have to look it up under pornography. We can see pornography on rated PG-13 movies. 
what, what grandmom and them would have called pornography for sure. What, 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 what people in previous generations, do you know, um, listen, if you let your children, your grandchildren sit there and pollute their mind all day long staring at music videos, I'm going to tell you this for sure. The majority of music videos are pornographic. They, 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 are, they are giving cravings for physical pleasure that are inappropriate. God has not created you, sir, ma'am, to have those physical cravings for anyone other than your spouse. Ooh, got real quiet real quick. Physical pleasure is to be kept inside the marriage covenant. Physical pleasure is to be kept between a husband and a wife. The Bible says that in, in, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, that marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled. Let me just get... Uh, children, close your ears. Let me just give you some little interpretation of what that undefiled bed is. Inside the marriage bed, anything two folk want to do, they can do. Mm, Y'all got quiet on me. That's what the scripture says. The marriage bed is not dirty. The marriage bed is undefiled. The last half of that verse says, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. We got a nation geared up. Listen, they put so much sexual stuff on TV now. You don't even have to go on. In a, listen, I remember, I'm old enough, many of y'all are too, where if you wanted to see pornography on the Internet, you had to pay for that. You had to put a credit card in. You had to do some kind of something. Now, it's just all free. Why? Because this is, this is strategy number one, craving for physical pleasure. Listen, there's nothing wrong with eating, but if you're fasting wholly unto God, then you should not be drawn away by your physical craving for food. And there's some things we as Christians should not be drawn away by, but this is, this is strategy number one, lust of the flesh. Strategy number two, lust of the eyes, craving for everything we see. Oh, man, these people have got marketing down pat. These Hollywood types, they, they, they've got, they, they, they are crafty, they are slick, they are demonic the bible says that satan more subtle than any beast of the field they know how to come at you slick and 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 subtle when when they show commercials for beer you, you realize they don't put a lot of ugly people in them commercials no sister jones from the holiness church she ain't on that commercial y'all know sister jones hair to the floor dressed to the floor no makeup ain't had a hairstyle since 1940 <laughs> She, she can't be on a beer commercial. Why? She don't look good enough. They put good-looking people on there. They put cool people on there. Uh, listen, I, I, America needs to find somebody that's cooler than Snoop Dogg. <laughs> Strolling down the beach with a Corona for a friend. <laughs> I'm like... Boy, this younger generation got nothing going on. They got nobody with a, with a suave of the D-O-double-G. They can't come up with a new star. Listen, they don't put people on beer commercials that don't appeal to, to, to the eye. And they want you to see it as better than it is. Why? They want to show you the one side of the story. They want to show you a bunch of good-looking people on a beach staring at a sunset having a great time. They don't show you the broken families that resulted from alcohol. They, they, they don't show you the destroyed liver and, and, and the person dying 
uh, from liver disease in the hospital bed. They don't show you the, the, the good-looking or the ugly people hugging the toilet bowl, puking, begging God to let the room stop spinning. They're not showing any of that. Why? Because the devil has a strategy. And that strategy is to appeal to your eyes to get you to want things that God doesn't want you to have. God didn't want Jesus to have food right then. So Jesus said no to the food. Physical uh, cravings, craving for what you see, if it's drawing you away from God, God doesn't want you to have it. Now we get to the last strategy, number three, the pride of life. Pride in our achievements and our possessions. Now, there, there's, there's something else that uh, I could add to that, relationships. Because I've told you many times, sociologists, experts have proven that men and women are different. No matter how much this weird generation of crazy people that think gender is fluid and you can be a man one day and a woman the next day and you can be something other than your biology says you are, that's just lies, foolishness, and anti-Christian uh, insanity. But men and women are different, and experts have told us that men primarily get their sense of value and self-worth through their work and through their accomplishments, through, through their, uh, their paycheck, their accolades on the job, where women get those same types of internal motivations from success in their relationships. Men, success on their job. Women, success in their relationships. That's not all the time, but that's many times. If you can be proud, I don't think there's a prouder person on the planet than a grandmother. You ever seen a grandmother get around a child? Not a grandfather might hand them a pocket change and, and, and some coin, but, oh, they're not beaming. Oh, when little Johnny does something good or even half good or just not stupid, grandma, look, look at my baby. Come here, baby. Come here, baby. Get, get, get grandmama some sugar, baby. Ain't nobody more proud than a grandmother in, in, in front. I'm telling you, it's so true. Bill Cosby did a whole bit about it. He didn't even know who his parents were. He saw his parents. It's the same people that never gave him a quarter. They're giving change to his children every time they walk up on them. He said, I don't know who these people are. But grandparents, mothers, listen, people, women in general, men can be capable too. If you are more happy with your relationships inside your family or your friends than you are in pursuing Christ, then you are, have stepped into the pride of life. Well, I, I ain't proud. I'm proud of them. Yeah, that's your pride in them. Look at my baby. Do not let these strategies work on you. You shouldn't be super excited about achievements, possessions, or relationships. You should be super excited about God. I want you to see this, and we'll go. Each time that these strategies were used to attack Jesus. Each time the devil offered a, a different way to try to bring Jesus down. And that's what it is, y'all. These are ways to bring you down from your spirituality. The, the devil's out there fishing. He's only got three types of bait, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And if the fish knew that the bait had a hook in it, the fish would leave it alone. And what you need to realize is all three of these things have a hook in them. 
It's going to hurt. It's going to drag you to a place you don't want to be. But each time the devil unfolded one of these three strategies on Jesus, Jesus responded not just with philosophical truth, but by quoting the written word of God. In verse 4, Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say. In verse 8, Jesus replied, the scriptures say. And in verse 12, Jesus responded, the scriptures also say. Every time he was tempted, he replied. I got one verse I want you to put on the screen. See if y'all can just pull a verse up on the fly in the King James Version. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, the last verse we're going to look at, and we're going to get out of here because I told you he's got three attacks. It's been that way from the beginning. It's that way in Jesus' time. It's that way now, and it's going to be that way to the end of time. I want you to see the very first attack the devil put on people when he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden because here's the thing. The law of first truth or the law of first mention, the way you see it first in the Bible is almost the way it's always going to come about. If y'all can't get it, I'll just read it out of, out, of, out, of, out, of, out of the text. Can I find Genesis in the Bible? Do, 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 do. In verse 6 of Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that's the lust of the what? First comes first. That's the lust of the flesh. It was food. It was a physical craving. When, when she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes. That's strategy number two, the lust of what? Uh, of the eyes. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. That's strategy number three, the pride of what? She, she, she saw that it would satisfy her physically. She saw it looked good. to Listen, if you're walking around saying, man, that sure looked that it did good to me. Get your eyes off it. If it's not meant for you, get your eyes off. It's, it was the exact same threefold strategy from the first person that the devil ever tempted to Jesus the same way. Lust of the, uh, first came first, second came second, third. Always comes in this order. First, second, then third. Adam and Eve. First, lust of the flesh. It's gonna, man, that's going to satisfy you physically. Lust of the eyes. It looked to be good. And, and pride of life. That's going to make me smart. These are the same three from day one to the way Jesus was approached. And if that's the way Eve was approached and that's the way Jesus was approached and we have these stories for our learning, guess who else is going to be approached that way? We are. So when you see these strategies coming, you just need to smile. It's like, mm, I see you. I see you right there. Don't worry about that, guys. We're done with it. I see you. I see you coming. Oh, now they put it up there. Good job. I appreciate it. So we, we, just look at it now that you got it to look at. When the woman saw, see, some of y'all said saw, and you thought immediately lust of the eyes because she saw it. No, but it was good for what? Food. That's physical craving. That's lust of the flesh. Uh, pleasant for the eye. That lust of the eye. And desirable to gain wisdom. That's the pride of life. 
And that is what brought down Adam and Eve. That's how the devil tried to bring down Jesus but failed horrifically. Why? Because Jesus knew the Scripture. And Jesus clung to the Scripture instead of to his own desire. And this is the choice that we all have. You need to learn the Scripture and then make your choice. Are you going to obey what God says? Or are you going to give in to what, what's going to make you feel good, what looks good to you, and what is going to puff you up? I said that was the last one, but let me finish out the whole text. Verse 13 says, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Some versions say he departed from him for a season. I wrote down, oh, Jesus, this is what I want. And if you live long enough following Christ, it's going to be what you want. What, what, what is it that I want? I want him to quit bothering me. I want him to leave me alone. Come on and just, just leave me till the next time. Leave me for a minute, an a hour. Leave me for a week, a month, or a year. Leave me for a decade. I don't, hey, I'll take any kind of reprieve I can get. And if you ever start chasing God at a high level, you'd be so excited if the devil left you alone for, for one afternoon so you could just say, whoo, what a good day I had today. I didn't have no lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of the life battles. Because why? He will. Hear me good and I'm done. He will leave you alone when you pass these tests. He might not leave you alone forever, but he's going to leave you alone until the next time. Some of you can't get the devil off your shoulder. Some of you can't get the devil to stop bothering you. Why? Because you're not passing any of these tests. And there's only three of them. You ought to be able to figure this out. It is physical craving. It's, it's cravings for what you see. And it's cravings for what you can be proud in. Whatever area in your life you're being tempted Pass the test. Pass the test. You're going to honor God, and the devil's going to leave you alone. And that's two good things to rejoice in. Honoring God and having the devil go mess with somebody else. I've told him. I've said it out loud. You, try, you better try somebody else, devil. You, you, think, you think you're going to get my eyes off from God, away from God and cause me to quit doing what God's called me to do? You got the wrong one here. Go, go bother somebody else. There have been so many times in almost 22 years. We're about to have our 22nd anniversary this summer. In 22 years, listen, there have been 14,722,911 different opportunities for me to quit. And every time I told the devil, you better run that past some other preacher. 1,800 preachers quit the ministry every month and never go back to it. 1,800 a month in America alone. That means a lot of new guys are coming in, but a lot of old guys are going out. The biggest church in Jacksonville currently right now, this moment, has a trespass warning on their pastor and his family. He's not allowed on the church property. They didn't run him out. Largest church in North Florida. Over 25, 30 campuses across Jacksonville, North Florida, and South Georgia. Run him out. Now, I don't know who's right and who's wrong, but I know this. There's a battle. To destroy leadership. But, but I, I tell you what I told the last, the last crowd. I said before you got here. I'll be here after you leave. Because I know one thing for sure. I would already quit this thing if God would let me. God ain't going to let me quit till he's full enough done with me. And I'm not going to fall. There's only three tricks the devil can come at you with. And, and, and here's the one he comes at me with. I'll expose him and then we'll go. 
it'd be easier to do anything other than what I'm doing. It just would for me. I got business opportunities outside the church. I got companies. Uh, I had a man talk to me for 38 minutes on the phone yesterday, multimillionaire, uh, wondering when, when you going to come and, 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 and let us partner together and, and make some millions of dollars together. I said, I'm on a mission. I'm doing what God called me to do, and I don't have time to put one more thing on my plate right now. Uh, he was trying to appeal to me in three ways. He was trying to appeal to the lust of my flesh. Why don't you let me fly you into Baltimore? Well, I'll take you to my favorite restaurant. Everything's on me. Mm, I like to eat. You want to wine and dine me for three days? I like to travel. Lusted eyes. Scott, you've got to come see how good things are going right now. Mm, lusted eyes. Want to, want, to, want to tip me with, with some visual aids pride of life. He said, I, 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 I'll set you up. You'll, 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 you'll be just rolling from day one. Oh, wow. Because here's the reality. People don't throw as many rocks at, at millionaire businessmen as they throw at preachers. Especially preachers telling the truth. You know, I'm guaranteed to be I'm the only person in this room guaranteed to be hated. The Bible says if you correct a fool, they will hate you. That's why y'all better leave everybody else alone. The Bible commands me to, to reprove and to rebuke. I got to do that. But, I, but I, I, I got off the phone and I, and I thought. And I didn't say what popular. See, Jesus didn't declare and decree anything to the devil when the devil tempted him. He just quoted scripture. He didn't go into some big, I bind and I loose, I declare and I decree. He didn't go, loose hand devil. He didn't cast him back to the, to the pit of hell from whence he came. No, he quoted scripture and he chose the word of God over his flesh. And I'm going to tell you something. There is joy and victory. And when you pass a test, when you don't cave in, to what you physically crave, when you don't cave in to what your eyes can see, when you don't cave in to what you think would make you happier and feel better about who you are, but you choose the way, the will, the plan of God, you, you know two things are going to happen for sure. Number one, you're going to make God happy. And number two, that devil's going to leave you alone for at least a minute. And this is where I want you to be, victorious in Christ. He's only got three ways to attack you, believer. It's coming. The lust of the flesh, your physical cravings, the lust of the eyes, the things that visually you can set your eyes on, and the pride of life, stuff that you think will make you feel awesome about who you are. But the reality is God knows all about your trouble. He's tempted just the same way we were, way we were tempted. We we're tempted without sin. And I want the devil to get off you for a minute. Pass the test, and he will leave you. Till the next time, pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example, the perfect example of your son, Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for being an all-sufficient Savior for us. And I pray that you would teach us the scripture that are able to make us wise and able to cause us to choose the right way over the wrong way. We love you, God. I pray for every person in this room that's here that's not saved. God, I pray that you would save them, draw them to you, pour your love out on them, and let them become Christians. Lord, for every Christian in the room, I pray that you would give us a desire to overcome temptation. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.